Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Hey y'all, welcome back to Two True to Lie with Harry Day. Um, I was trying to adjust my setup to do this episode, which I'm going to do totally from memory from 23 years ago, maybe. It was a uh, oceanic adventure gone bad. And so I'm setting up and I got my mic and I got my phone and I found a... Uh, DirecTV, and I probably shouldn't have said their name, um, music station. I went to reggae first, and it just didn't even sound like reggae. And so I went, I found Tropicales, and so I'm going to turn that up as a background music. And it doesn't sound like <laughs> tropical music either, because what I'm trying to do is capture a beach island atmosphere for this story which is all too true. And uh, I, there's this noise in the room and I'm like, you know, I've got my phone on silent so no one can text or call during the recording and, and throw it off. And I guess I could get closer to the mic. And it's not storming out, my fan's not loud, I got the music on and uh, it's all quiet in the house but still my room is just ringing. And it's my tinnitus. I always, and I'm glad that I always forget that both of my ears ring like I've been shooting artillery all day long. It's just, I've become so used to it. I don't know if it's because I've shot a lot of guns, hunting, and uh, I, have, I have a drum set upstairs. I've been playing drums since I was in college. And, you know, I'm a loud guy. And so, irregardless of how it happened, I have double tinnitus, and there's not a thing I can do about it, and you can't hear it. So the sound quality ought to be fairly decent for the, for the, uh, you know, low budget, non-technical production that I put on. Nevertheless. I'm going to drink some of my Arizona green tea that is not being shipped to me by Arizona Tea Company. And I want to thank my recent listeners out there. I just pushed over 500 listens um, not that long ago, less than two weeks ago. And I'm already pushing 600 listens. So someone or some people have been really hitting hitting the uh, podcast, and I appreciate y'all very much for listening, and pass it on, tell people about it, I'm not shy, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here telling my stupid stories, otherwise, so anyway, let's delve right in to the harrowing tale of the failed canoe trip to the abandoned lighthouse, and it was all exactly that, in the late 90s, when I lived on Folly Beach and I had been surfing for over a year, 
which put me in surf shape because I went and surfed every day or paddled at least in the water when there weren't waves as, as much as I could. So I, you know, I, I had become a waterman and I could swim well, I could surf well, I could surf without a leash. I could punch out through the worst of, of uh, the soup, you know, all the white water pushing in that you've got to struggle to punch out of to get outside the wake or outside the break of the waves and then find the bigger waves to ride. That's what I did. Um, on a calm, surfless summer day, that's my daughter's name, by the way, but it has nothing to do with her because it was 10 years before she was born. Me and Surfer Lenny and Baseball Joe and one of Joe's best buddies from Ohio decided to take my three-man canoe, which I had found. It had floated up on the Ross Barnett Reservoir here outside of Jackson. Um, after a storm, and it was half swamped across from when I was living with Curtis, the Chevy Chase lookalike guy. And I left it there all day looking at it, and no one came and got it. And so I swam over and got the canoe, and I kept it. And so one day, when I was home, I strapped it to the top of my Jeep Cherokee and drove it to Charleston. I don't know why. You don't canoe in the ocean. Maybe I was doing it for the marsh. Who knows? Well, it was a calm day and we had this old silver looking beat up canoe. And I was in the back with a paddle. Lenny was in the front with a paddle. It was a two man canoe. And Joe and Joe's friend, I can't remember his name, we're just gonna call him Mac. Joe and Mac were sitting on the floor of the canoe in between me and Lenny. So we had our weight distributed. We had two paddles. We had a two liter bottle of water. Um, everybody was wearing sandals, I guess, and, and, and uh, board shorts, surf shorts. And I, I remember I had a hat on and I was chewing gum and I probably had a t-shirt. I think we all had some kind of sun shirt because it was a bright, clear, sunny day, offshore wind, just one foot tall waves. And so we went down to the washout, which was the uh, one of the surf spots of Folly Beach on the north end. And we were going to put in there and paddle down beach and then in across this uh, inlet looking area to the Morris Island Lighthouse, which was no longer in use. Morris Island used to be before over half of the island eroded away, including the fort that was on it. It was a fort that the Confederates held when the Union troops assaulted it with, their, with the 54th Massachusetts black or colored troops from that movie Glory. This is where it took place, that story, that fight. The, the lighthouse wasn't there then, there was a fort there. Um, the Union held Folly Beach, they always held Folly Beach. Um, it wasn't of use to the Confederates, they, they guarded the harbor and this was just south of the harbor. So anyway, the lighthouse was surrounded by water 
and it was faded red and white striped and rusty to black uh, accented. It had, a, it had a cast iron spiral stairwell up the center to the top. And we had gone there before, me and some other friends, with coolers of beer and uh, grass in uh, Ziploc bags. And we'd go sit up there and you could see the entire island to the south. You could see up into the harbor in Fort Sumter. You could see out into the ocean. It was really a cool, cool spot. No glass in the windows up there. We just go sit up there and spend the afternoon. So that's where we were headed in the canoe. Something's telling me that y'all may guess we didn't make it. You're right. So we get down to the end of the island and you loop in left around the end of the island. Well, along that edge of Folly Beach is where the Folly River flows in or out depending on the tide. We didn't think to check the tides. You know, Lenny and I were surfers, we were watermen. The other two were athletes. So we see as we're paddling towards the lighthouse, this rapids looking shape of water that was two and three feet high that we had to go across. There was no avoiding it if we wanted to get to the lighthouse. I guess we could have gone out and around and back in, but you know, we were, we were always up for challenges and stuff. You know, we were invincible, young and invincible, and we just, we were gonna make a beeline for it and continue our adventure. Well, we hit these rapids and the water was flowing out to sea and that's when we realized, okay, it's low tide and the marsh and the Folly River are pulling out to sea and this water is moving really fast. Well, where the rapids were was over a sandbar and we swamped the canoe over this sandbar. Well, we stood on the sandbar and righted the canoe and gathered our stuff that was floating around that hadn't floated off. We swam for some of it. And we got back in and we kept going and we just, two guys paddling with four guys in a two-man canoe just couldn't make the headway we needed through this, through this uh, current that was coming against us going out to sea and we were fighting it and paddling and trying and laughing and we got swamped again and we, we went to stand in the sand and turn the canoe over and empty it out and ride it we couldn't touch the bottom we were already out beyond the uh what was it called the sandbar in deep water and so the canoe is floating at water level and under. And we're trying to keep all our sandals and water and paddles with the boat. And the four of us are hanging onto it. And there's no way we can lift the canoe out of the water when it's in the water full with nowhere to put our feet and stand. And so we fight this thing for like 10 minutes, you know, maybe longer. We were fighting this canoe, trying to get it over. You know, we'd get it over, but it was still full of water. And we'd fight it and fight it. And someone, took the moment to look towards the island and said, OF. Oh, and we're like, what? And he's like, look how small the trees are. <laughs> and we looked towards Folly and we'd been pulled out to sea. And I don't mean a hundred yards. The, tr 
the trees were an inch tall when we like put our fingers up. We were out there in the current, still getting pulled out. And so Lenny and I are fighting the canoe still because we don't want to leave it. We're trying to swim with it because we're out of the main current, but we're still kind of floating out because tides, when they're bottoming, bottoming out, pulling out, it's just, it's a major movement, a major force. Well, Mac and Joe start swimming in, except they're kind of swimming against the current. And so we yell at them, cross current. You got to swim to your left and get out of the current and then swim in. And so they start swimming left. And so we're messing with, Lenny doesn't want to leave my canoe. And I'm like, it's just a canoe. I found it. I don't see us needing it. <laughs> not now for sure. Uh, it's not an ocean vessel. I've never used it in the marsh. Let's just swim before we get way, way far out. And, you know, we look and by now we're, you know, 150 yards out past Joe and Mac who are slowly swimming sideways and maybe a little angled toward shore. So, uh, we start to swim. I'm like, Lenny, let's just leave it. And so Lenny, Lenny was stout too. He was a stout waterman. The ladies loved Lenny and his blonde little dreads and dark tan and muscular frame, he was a hunk. And I'm a guy saying that. I mean, I was I'm, I was tall, lanky and muscular, but I was still thin. You know, I was, I'm no GQ guy. Lenny, <laughs> Lenny probably could pull it off. But the girls like Lenny. Anyway, enough about Lenny, right? So Lenny's like, well, I'm not leaving by sandals. And so he has one in each hand. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to let mine float off. And he goes, no, no, give them to me. So I give him my sandals. So he has a pair of one sandals in one hand and a pair of his sandals in the other hand. I was wearing Lenny's sandals. I went barefoot and he said, you can wear my sandals. And so he didn't want to leave either pair of his sandals. And so he was doing the breaststroke with sandals in each hand, swimming toward cross-currenting a little bit. And I was on my back, kicking my legs constant and doing kind of an angel. Like if you were doing a snow angel on the, uh, in the snow or the sand, that's kind of the motion I was doing in the water. I called it the angel fish. Oops. And I had a hat, so I pulled it down where I wouldn't get too much sun on my face because it was a long swim. And I remember I was chewing gum and so Lenny and I were swimming, and I was moving along at the top of the water pretty good. And somehow Lenny was keeping up with me, doing doing the breaststroke with sandals in his hands. I guess the sandals were like huge webbed hands or something, but he was very muscular. He'd been surfing way longer than me. Well, it took a little while, and we caught up with Joe and Mac. And they had slowed up, but they were out of the current. But we were still... You know, the tree's gotten a little bigger, but we were still, you know, we've been swimming 15 minutes and we still probably had at least 30 more minutes of swimming. And we just passed Joe and Mac swimming and kept, we, we were, we, we just weren't going to stop and waste our time floating, waste our energy 
treading water. We were, we were swimming and we were gonna swim until we hit the beach. And so we passed Joe and Mac and we weren't a hundred yards past Joe and Mac when Mac started freaking out. And he started yelling for help. And so Joe stops and Joe, this is Joe's best buddy. Joe's like saying, hey, let's just swim. Don't worry, don't worry about it. And the guy's like, we need a boat. We need a boat, help. And he just starts screaming again. And Lenny and I just bluntly told him to shut up and swim. I mean, we were trying to save his life. He was, you, you panic that far out offshore, you're gonna drown. Or you're gonna have someone nearly drown trying to save you. And so I remember distinctly Mac complaining and crying for help, not crying, sobbing, but just like calling for help and saying he wasn't gonna make it. And it's just like I heard it today. Joe says, no matter what happens, buddy, God's with you. And Lenny and I looked at each other because we were still pulling away, headed to shore in this long ass swim. And Lenny stopped and turned around and said, and just cussed him out and said, you had better shut up and just start swimming this way. Joe, if you've got to sit there and swim with them, I'll stay here and y'all swim to me and then we'll swim in. And that's what they did. Harry put his ears underwater, continued chewing gum and swam his butt to shore. I was the first one to the outer sandbar where I could stand. And it took 30 minutes more, maybe a little under. I could stand and if I turned my nose up to the air, my chin was out of the water. And I was standing on sand, breathing air without having to exert energy and swim. And some old man had walked up and seen what was happening towards the latter half of that whole in, inward swim. And so Lenny and Joe got in Mac and they come in and they all get to the outer bar and they're just tall enough to get their nose up out of the water. And so they swim on in the next, it was just 20 more yards to the beach. And you know, I go in too, we go to the beach and we lay there in the sand and we're like, holy crap, man, that was intense. It was over a 45 minute swim, a little less. And uh, nothing, nothing had kicked in, no realization of what, was, what could have happened had really kicked in with me or Lenny. I think Joe was freaked out about Mac, and Mac was just freaked out. And so right as we're reaching the beach, this guy that I, I knew but didn't know, I just, you know, you, you, you recognize everybody on Folly when, when I lived there. It was only like 1,200 people lived on the island. This guy on a jet ski comes flying out of the river into the ocean and Lenny waves at him and he arcs over to us and uh, we can't hear what they're saying over the jet ski and Lenny gets on the back of the jet ski and they take off out to the ocean. And damn if they did not come back in with my canoe. Lenny wasn't gonna let that thing get away. I mean, he was gonna save his sandals. He even brought in the bottle of water. <laughs> We left no trash, we left no bodies. 
we brought he brought in the canoe and I can't remember how we got the canoe home I guess we just walked it I think we drove to the uh, far beach access to the north end of the island and carried the canoe and put it back up on my Jeep and then I drove it home and then the four of us went to this restaurant on James Island that served uh, kind of a mix between health food and Italian food and we all ate heartily and I remember starting to feel the muscles under my armpits you know the the outside edge of my pecs or whatever that area under my arms was getting sore because of the way I was swimming my legs were fine my back was fine my arms were fine but with my shoulders and and my shoulders going into my uh, torso were sore for two days from from that long swim and the dangest thing about that canoe is I let two hippies two grass vending hippies two grass what, what do you call your uh, pot dealer two pot dealing hippies borrow my canoe to go canoe somewhere that, that later that summer and I never saw them or my canoe again. My free canoe that we nearly died trying to, I mean, I don't think Lenny and I would have drowned. I really don't. And Joe did good. It's just Mac freaked out. You know, he was from Ohio. He was a baseball athlete. He didn't have the swimming muscles. He had baseball muscles, I guess. Or he just didn't know how to pace himself and swim. Or maybe he didn't have uh, faith in himself and in survival. You know what I mean? There's a lot of lessons to be learned from this other than don't canoe when tide is getting sucked out to sea faster than you can pedal a bicycle, which is what we did. We never got to the to the uh, lighthouse. It was a failed trip, my only failed trip. We, we had paddled, we might have even canoed there once before, me and some other guys. I know we paddled our surfboards over there and gone over there on friend's boat. You know, the place is really cool. I mean, it was kind of jagged around the edges and the water would, you know, ocean water rises and falls with the waves and it bounces things into the concrete and the rocks and, you know, it can bust your stuff up and scratch it up. But I, I just have some great mind visuals from being up in that lighthouse late in the day. And, you know, it was like being, it was like watching something from the point of view of a drone. Except that you worked for it and you got up there and you you kind of risked your life on this crazy stairwell with missing steps. <laughs> but uh, we didn't make it that day, but we did make it home. And that's all that counts, right? And, and I'll get back on the lessons learned that uh, you don't quit. I had a talk with my dad today. He had, a, he had his second mini stroke. And it wasn't enough of a stroke to make him, you know, have slurred speech or, 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 you know, loss of use of the right side of his face or arm or whichever side of the body it does that to. But it was enough to, to get him in the hospital and have to do some rehab. And so he's 88. And I've talked about this a couple of episodes ago. When he went to the ER and was in the hospital, well, now they we've got him in a uh, rehabilitation home where he can hopefully 
get strength back in his legs enough to be able to get around the house and not become a bedridden or wheelchair-ridden uh, invalid. I hate to use that word. And I talked to him this morning. First, my mom called me, and she was distraught. Dad had a bad night. He doesn't like where he is. I'm thinking about bringing him home. I was like, Mom, he hadn't been there a day. He got there last night or yesterday afternoon. You know, he if he goes home, you're going to have to have two people there to move him and deal with him because you can't physically do it. And me and Brian Seal can't come over there all the time. We can come over there whenever, you know, I mean, we'll come over there as often as we can. Probably more than I'm than I'm sitting here saying we can, obviously, during the COVID thing. I mean, what else are we doing? Although I picked up a, a commission doing uh, metal sculptures, you know, for Ridgeland. Anyway, I had to, I called my dad and got on to him. He said he wasn't happy there. I was like, Dad, this is your last chance to walk again. If if you go home, there is a good chance you will never walk again. This is your chance to do what they say do. You're gonna have to push yourself. You're gonna have to do it. You're gonna have to do the work. You're gonna have to make yourself do it. You're gonna have to do it. And you're gonna have to do it for mom to make her feel better. And you're gonna have to do it for me because I'm telling you to do it. And it's so crazy how I grew up with him getting on my ass and I'm having to get on his ass. <laughs> but it makes you recognize it's out of love. And it is deep-rooted family love. But I feel that way about my friends, too. I guess that's the only child in me. But um, I talked him into a better place, and he's going to give it a go. And I told my mom, and she, she felt better. And so, you know, you got, you got to do what you got to do to survive, to get by, to get better, to to have quality of life. I've had to do so many things to have quality of life, things I haven't talked about on this uh podcast that I may get to sometime. Um, I haven't had to kill anybody. <laughs> and, and that laugh didn't mean I, yeah, I killed somebody. I hadn't had to kill anybody. But, you know, pe- a lot of people that know me don't think I've had it tough. And my family has set it up to where I've had always had a place to live and my bills can get paid and my insurance can get paid. I don't think people realize the physical injury and pain I've been through and the fight that I've gone through with my serotonin when my brain stopped making serotonin a decade ago or longer. And I started having to take serotonin medicines except I took one for a long time and it quit working for me just in the blue summer of 2012. And so I had to start another one and it took three years. And I had kids, little toddler kids. And I went through three years of a roller coaster of fighting, wanting to live. I mean, it was that severe at times. But having kids and knowing better and having loved ones kept the fight in me and I fought it and I beat it. I was told I had to make new neural pathways in my mind 
in my brain, not my mind, my brain. The chemical thing, the Mayo Clinic said it. So now I've opened up Pandora's box about my mental health, <laughs> which is excellent, by the way. You can ask anybody. But it was a struggle, and it was such a freaking hard struggle. But like me and Lenny and Joe and even Mac, we fought the struggle. We fought the tide. We fought the distance. We fought the water. We never once thought about sharks. And that's where we were told before and after that whole fiasco that the end of the island was where most of the sharks hung out because fish came in and out of the mouth of the Folly River there. And that's where they hunted their fish. Obviously, there were lots of fish they would have hunted us. But we never got bumped. No, I didn't even think about sharks. When you're, when you're out, you don't think about that crap. You just get scared. And fear can ruin you. So, I might make this. Yeah, we're going to drop this in 30 minutes almost, plus the intro, outro music. But uh, everyone goes through hard times. Everyone goes through hard, hard issues and, and tough moments that seem like they're never going to end, but they can and they will. You just gotta, you gotta outlast it. You gotta outswim it and you can do it. Every single one of you, all nine of you, I probably upped a listener now. I've got nine listeners <laughs> and maybe it'll spread some more. I get a lot of one listens around the world. And, uh, you know, they probably listen to the first 15 minutes. They're like, nah, probably not even that far, probably five minutes. I got a few core listeners, and, I, and, and those are the ones that uh, I guess I'm speaking to, but that's not, that's not who's on my mind, you know. This is therapeutic. And this is Too True to Lie with Harry M. Day. And keep swimming, people. Keep swimming. Peace. Rider's on.